The IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. We are hosts from the offerings team here at IBM Cloud. My name is Ian Lynch. And I'm Steve Choquette. So today, guys, we have Brianna Frank, the Director of Offering and Product Management here at IBM Cloud, back on the show. Brianna, welcome back. Thank you so much. Glad to be back. And Brianna, it's actually kind of sad, but this probably won't be the last time that we have you here on the show, but I know this oh. is the final episode of our Cloud Native series. And Brianna, you've been an extremely busy lady in the last couple of months, but we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But first, let's remind ourselves what like the last, what was it, six, seven episodes? Yeah, what, six, seven episodes have been about. So we had really yourself and Dan on the show, and actually we had Chris Rosen on too. But besides all the fun we had in recording with you guys, you guys dropped a ton of useful information, places to find content. But really over those six or seven episodes, Brianna, you got us really revved up and excited about everything cloud native. So we heard basically around those episodes that actually IBM drink, well, essentially we drink our own champagne in the sense that this is how we actually run our business around cloud native. We got a really good overview of how someone should or would even consider um, cloud native development or um, what actually, to be honest, what stuck in my mind, to be honest, was how developing on the cloud is actually a way of life. Then we got an insight into the lessons learned from running Kubernetes ourselves. We chatted around the most efficient ways of doing it and the different solutions that IBM have to offer, even the ones like that Chris talked about to help remove some of the silos in IT. And then we got a deep dive, well, kind of a deep dive into Kubernetes and its complementing technologies, which kind of brings me into my next, actually not my next, my first question. So Rihanna, a little while ago when we were busy deep in recording, um, you and your army were very busy in the background bringing something to market. And I know it's highly related in terms of a series around cloud native, but you guys managed to bring a managed open shift to IBM Cloud. And with that, we brought on some new friends as well into IBM. So while everyone else was smiling about this and saying, well, Brianna, of course, I was thinking, why didn't Brianna tell us? I was a little bit disappointed. But anyway, that's what we're here to talk about a little bit today. So go on, tell us, how's everything going? It's going so well. Well, first of all, I, it was actually a great kept secret. I, I actually remember the day that I found out was uh, it was a Sunday and I was running through my neighborhood and I'm an avid runner and I'm getting slower over the years, but I still run a lot. And I just happened to take a break and check Twitter. And sure enough, um, I found out just as everybody else did on the uh, on Twitter that, you know, IBM and Red Hat were going to, you know, um, embark in a new partnership and acquisition. And so, um, I, you know, of course, I got a lot of texts and calls and questions. And I think whenever there's something new, there's a lot of excitement and worry and, um, you know, uh, interesting speculation. But um what was kind of interesting about this one in particular is that, you know, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and so there's a big Red Hat presence here, and there's also a big IBM presence here. And so, you know, Raleigh's not a huge town or city, you know, it's it's a medium-sized city, but you run into a lot of Red Hat employees throughout your, you know, social life and, and throughout your work life. You know, we, we've been partners, the two companies have been partners for quite a while. And so we see each other in a lot of the same events, you know, at KubeCon, we see each other in a lot of the same um, open source communities. And so um, beyond our, you know, business relationships, we're, you know, we see each other at Run Club or at, 
um, you know, at the, you know, in at the Istio, uh, in it's some of the Istio meetups in the city. So, it's kind of interesting how the two companies have sort of been intertwined for a long time, and so this kind of um, wasn't as scary as maybe maybe it uh, it it could have been, just given the relationships that we have and and sort of the the common goals and and similarities and what we're doing in the in the community. So your Christmas list and circle of friends got a huge amount bigger, I guess, right? <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. So Brianna, I'm still kind of blown away, to be honest, that literally within a couple of weeks from you guys getting that, or well, so from you getting that or seeing that tweet from the time we actually went to market with a product, which is pretty amazing. So can you tell me about like, aren't you guys still supposed to be like stuck somewhere, still developing, still coding for the next five years? How did this all happen so quickly? If this was many years ago, it wouldn't be so quick, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a great question. And um, it, as you kind of alluded to, um, September 1st, we launched uh, Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud. And we were able to bring it to market incredibly fast. I think we even surprised ourselves. Um, you know, how quickly we're able to bring it to market. And, you know, I have to say that um, just having deep Kubernetes knowledge really uh, helped us here. And so we really had, you know, two to three years of, um, you know, a lot of uh, experience running Kubernetes production at at a high scale worldwide. And so that allowed us to apply those skills and learning to OpenShift and not just in terms of SRE, in terms of, you know, operations, but also just in terms of user experience and the kinds of feature functionality and, and security features that we know that our clients need in, in Kubernetes and we're able to apply those to OpenShift as well. So uh, we kind of surprised ourselves. We were able to move really fast and um, I think it's also a testament to the OpenShift, you know, product itself is pretty strong. So um, we were able to, uh, you know, move pretty fast, and uh, you know, it, it's it's exciting actually, um, and it was a lot easier than we thought to to bring it to market. So I've always, I mean, I live in Raleigh as well, uh, Brianna. So I, you know, I I do the same thing, although I don't run. Uh, but <laughs> you know, but other than that, you know, I guess I see some of the same folks that work for Red Hat. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, I always felt that there was some sort of culture difference between both of the cultures of IBM. I mean, IBM is 400,000 people. Red Hat, obviously, is much less. Uh, you know, they've always, I mean, they were founded on an open source thing. IBM, you know, over 100 years ago, never had the concept. You know, what are your observations? And will we end up with one culture or two or some weird hybrid? I think this is such a great question, and it's one that's come up a lot. And as soon as the you know acquisition was announced, I had a lot of friends from Red Hat kind of uh, text me, and w this was their big worry. You know, I think Red Hat has really been able to create a amazing culture, um, a fast-paced innovation, um, open source, and they were a little worried. At least I had a lot of folks reach out to me, and you know. What I try to tell people, and I think you you pointed out, it's like, you know, IBM's a huge company. So you're going to find pockets of all different kinds of cultures. And so what's nice about IBM is that you can probably find a culture that kind of fits your needs because there's a lot of different sort of micro cultures within IBM. But what I try to help people understand is that it's interesting around the technologies, you're going to find similar cultures. So um, Kubernetes, for example, and Istio and Knative, those are all sort of open source projects and technologies that are moving so fast and, you know, in a very ambiguous space. 
And I think there's a certain kind of person that has to, that 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 is, you know, jumps into the ring and decides that they're going to, you know, um, work on these kinds of projects because they are sort of cutting edge and they're they're moving fast in lots of different directions. So there's probably a lot more cultural sim similarities than folks realize. And I think as they're, you know, meeting more IBMers or seeing that. And I think um, I think Jim Whitehorse actually said it best. He was kind of talking about, you know, traditional IBM really has a good handle on efficiencies. And um, he he he's talked a little bit about his experience at Delta and how that can really um, uh, that can be really beneficial because you kind of need that learning of a established company and how they bring efficiencies to market. Um, and then you sort of combine that with uh, Red Hat and sort of this sort of cloud native um, innovation culture. And I think instead of the two cultures being at odds, in, in many ways, I think the two can learn from each other, right? And so that innovation, like you need the the fast pace, you need the people that are really passionate about the new, the next new thing and sort of, you know, how do we pave new ground? And then you also need sort of the stability of a large company who knows, um, you know, where to, where efficiencies can be made and, 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 you know, how to, how to reach that longevity. So it's kind of interesting how I think both cultures sort of can learn from each other. And I think Jim, Jim kind of nailed it when he said that. And it really made me think about the positive and the positive things we can, you know, learn from each other. And so I feel like in my space, I'm almost in the middle because I am part of IBM, but I'm also part of this really fast paced, agile um, part of IBM. So I can see both sides and I can see why both are really beneficial. So, Brianna, let me ask a little bit about the term open. Actually, speaking of which, it's kind of funny. I was recently speaking to someone who said, oh, I listened to your podcast and you guys were talking around open source, which reminded me of, I guess, more than 10 years ago when I figured out I didn't need to pay for an, a Microsoft Office license. Like, I get this open source version called OpenOffice, which was supported, it was awesome, and yeah, it was free. So that's what stuck in his mind in terms of open, but IBM are really, really serious about open, right? And no doubt Red Hat are too, but I feel, I feel it needs to be a bit of vision, right? And I want to ask this because I want to find out about the, the I guess, the long-term vision of both companies in terms of the openness. And I'm sure that before we kind of, before we actually like acquired and merged and done all this, is we needed to have a similar vision or a different vision? So will aligning these visions be difficult or more so a walk in the park? Yeah, I think that's is actually the single most important rallying point between the two companies. It's so interesting how both companies are so opinionated about open source. And, you know, it's really interesting, actually. I think they have, uh, I'm sure no company is perfect, but I really feel like the intentions and sort of the, um, the belief that uh, you must give back and not just take in an open source community is very, very important to both companies. And you see how passionate people are about sort of the greater good, if you will. And also, I think both companies are incredibly passionate about open governance. And so you see that a lot. And I think it's been a really interesting rallying point and um, between the two companies. And we already are, have been collaborating for years in the same projects, but um, now, as we come together as one, I think that that is um, that's going to be more and more uh, more and more of a thing that kind of 
stitches us together and, and brings us together. So it's been it's been interesting, actually, uh, because I think not all companies have that passion for open source. And I think we really do. And you can see it in, in the kinds of products we deliver and the kind of contributions that we that we're making in the community. And as we take that walk together, then Brianna, what? So, if I'm an IBM user and Steve's a Red Hat user, what will what will we see different? Or will anything change immediately for us? Yeah. So I, um, for the, you know, I think that it's been pretty public for the um, foreseeable future. They're really keeping Red Hat as its own company and its own, um, and and I think that that's been really reassuring for folks because they were so worried that their culture would change or things would change. But I think that they would agree if you interview, you know, the Red Hat teams, not much has changed. And I think that that's really good because they've been able to, you know, not slow down and and um, hopefully they can ex- even accelerate by. Um, you know, taking advantage of the of some of what IBM has to offer, but they yeah they're really separate. And um, the only thing that's really changed for me is that you know we have a really strong partnership with Red Hat, and you know we are always did, but obviously you know that's that's strengthened. And um, I think that but our day to day is pretty much the same as it's always been. And so I think that that's been you know kind of reassuring for folks, and it's also allowed us to not be distracted by you know um, lots of different you know extra pressures, we can just keep moving really, really fast. I'm going to ask you the crystal ball question here. So, you know, now that the two companies are together as one company, and we've talked about the culture, and we've talked about OpenShift and, you know, the speed and such, what kind of things are being worked on between the two companies? And, and what do you see happening, even with the existing products? And, you know, knowing that this is future stuff, you know, we know how that's about as solid as quicksand. So just wave your hands in the air and we'll pretend it's magic and it'll happen whenever it happens. But, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I think it's interesting how the two companies really have similar goals around bringing, making their clients successful. And I think both client, both companies have a really good handle on what what it, what cloud means for the enterprise and you know what hybrid means what on prem means what public cloud means and what's becoming very clear is that the two companies are very complementary of each other. And, you know, I work in the public cloud um, space. So it's really interesting how that's just become immediately apparent how we can complement Red Hat. And it's, it's really the rallying point is around our clients and making them successful. And so I think that those are the things that in the future, um, you know, as that, as we, as we come together and as we sort of, um, and turn the crank on the next, you know, the next uh, gen of our products. I think that we're going. Hopefully, our our clients are going to feel that innovation and feel that difference. Um, but yeah, I think that you know, um, it's it's going to be interesting in in the sense that you know how whether it's with open source or with you know in the hybrid cloud space. I don't know that there's really two companies that have more. Um, I guess alignment in sort of in terms of their values and sort of their the goal of making their clients successful. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. So Brianna, let me change up gears for a sec, and I'm going to pop off my IBM hat and say. So basically, today IBM are offering a hybrid platform, basically, which gives anyone, and I mean anyone, an opportunity or a foundation to build innovation. But Brianna, we're not really the only ones doing this, right? So. This is your chance to either tell me that 
no, we are, we're the only ones doing this, or there's no one else better in the market, or actually, Ian, there's a way of what this all works together. Yeah, I mean, I think that the rallying point here is around OpenShift, and we're seeing more and more adoption of OpenShift and, um, and more adoption of Kubernetes in general. And so how do you make um, it easier to consume um, OpenShift and Kubernetes, and how do you make it easier to deploy on your on-prem environment, in the cloud, um, in multiple clouds? And so um, I think a lot of a lot of um, there's you know there's a lot of uh, shops in town doing something similar and you know at the end of the day it's just you know who can focus on their clients the most and make sure that their clients are successful and so um, I think that's that's where the big opportunity is so um, you know you and and we all know that you and Dan are Chris and Chris are famous but you've got a person on your team Cy Venom that um, is also becoming famous. He put out a, an IBM Cloud Pack video, and so it's, it's you know it's quite well received and and compelling. So he maybe has a hope of being as famous as you, Brianna. I can never be as famous as Sai. Sai is uh, is fantastic, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I get so many compliments about his videos and just how easy it is to um, to learn about Kubernetes through his videos. And it, I think that's kind of a neat thing about our team. We actually just finished um, a, a webinar on um, flying Kubernetes. So it's kind of creating, teaching basic Kubernetes 101 concepts, but using a fleet of drones. So that's actually coming out in the next week. Um, and we had so much fun creating that. And uh, so I think that that's sort of a, a side project and a sort of a side belief that we have in our team is, you know, how do you explain Kubernetes in a way that's easy to understand in, in different ways. So, you know, Sai does these great whiteboard videos that are super easy to, to consume. And then, um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to do this a little differently using a fleet of drones, but it's kind of fun. Um, in the video, you I, we demo things like self-healing and we we actually run up and grab a grab a drone and we let Kubernetes schedule another drone in its place. So it's kind of neat. Uh, hopefully you can check that out. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. And you don't throw the drone in a river like Ian tried to do, right? <laughs> I didn't hear about that. <laughs> have to tell I, think you yeah, I think that's for another episode, maybe, Steve. Yeah, we'll you probably won't hear about that. So it sounds to me like uh, the best way to learn about uh, all of this, everything tied to the acquisition, is not just to follow the uh, you know IBM news and articles, but to, to look for videos from your team as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully we'll keep everybody up to date on the, what's what's the latest news. Yeah, videos are a great way to learn. Well, Brianna, I honestly can't thank you and your team enough for actually coming on doing these seven episodes. I wanna say it was information overload, but saying that's usually a bad thing, but in this case, it was absolutely fantastic. So uh, I guess now we have the full picture of everything that IBM offer in terms of cloud native. So yes, myself and Steve and the listeners, uh, thanks a bunch, Brianna, for sparing the time coming here and bringing us all up to speed over the last few episodes around cloud native. Thank you so much. And guys, myself and Steve, as always, um, if you're only joining in now, um, have a listen back to the other seven episodes uh, that Brianna and her team of experts came in and chatted to us about. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. And for myself and Steve, thanks for joining in. See you next time on the IBM Cloud Podcast. <laughs>